Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday. Happy August. Today is August 3rd. Oh my God, I cannot believe it's August. <laughs> Holy shit, right? The shutdown happened when in March? March. Yeah. June, July. Five months almost? <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Listen to how fun this is. So um, there's a group of my girlfriends and we do a virtual happy hour once a month. And so the leader who puts it, who organizes it, put it together and sent out Facebook events for each month through the end of the year. So in the Facebook event for December, I commented and said, let's guess what's going to be happening by the time we get to this meeting. Oh, no. <laughs> Right? Like, let's, let's take our best shot at guessing. Are, are we under quarantine again? Are, who's our president? Do we have a vaccine? Are schools in person or are they all at home? And I think it's going to be so fun and very scary and kind of sad to try to predict what's going to happen four months from now, because really anything could happen. I said, did the zombie apocalypse officially begin? <laughs> well, we definitely know demons are back and having sex with us. Oh, that's that right. I did hear. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you put as your prediction? Um, well, I did. I just put the questions out there. I'm waiting for others to respond. So we'll see what they say. In my entirely non-scientific anecdotal uh, way... I think that we're going to have increased food shortages because I still can't get my favorite pasta mm -hmm. and I haven't been able to since the shutdown in March. And I went grocery shopping this weekend and I couldn't get flour and yeast again. Really? Mm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people are just like getting scared again or if it's because schools are reopening in a couple weeks, but... The, the short, oh, also, I couldn't get um, dishwasher soap. Huh. But you know, it also could just be the disruption to the production lines. Yeah. Oh, totally. So that's why I think by December, we're going to be having some shit. We're out of everything. Yeah. Well, if you have a prediction for December, uh, message us and let us know what it is. Oh, I'll put it up on social media and we'll gather all the... The idea is there. You can just drop it in the comments. I love it. I mean, we might as well try to have a little bit of fun, even though the stuff we're sure. predicting is not fun at all. <laughs> I was just going to say, it doesn't sound fun. No, I know. I know. Oh, well. And then we'll be on to 2021, and it'll be a Smooth whole new sailing. world. Whole new world. <laughs> Goodness. How was your you weekend? Know well, I was just going to say, you know, we usually ask about our weekends, but there's an entire week between recordings. So how was your last week, Brittany? Brittany? Uh, I can't say your name. Um, 
It sounds like my father-in-law with his southern accent. <laughs> Brittany. Um, I can't remember. I don't know. Oh. Maybe that's why we just ask about weekends. Because last week seems like a year <laughs> Such ago. Such a blur. Yeah. Okay, so how was your weekend? How about that then? I had a wonderful weekend. Um, my husband and I celebrated our 10th year wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. It was very sweet. We um, watched our wedding video. Aww. I know we hadn't seen it in such a long time and definitely had not watched it uh, beginning to end because it's quite long, but we did. And it was so fun to see all of our friends and family, um, some of whom are no longer with us, like my mm. grandma and grandpa. Um, and just kind of think back to how much has changed in the mm. last 10 years and where everybody is now. Yeah. I love the wedding photo you posted of the two of you with the, the flat irons in the background. Yeah. Oh, so pretty. Oh, thank you. I know. It was such a great day. I felt we were reminiscing and um, I just couldn't have asked for anything better that day. It really was perfect. And I'm so excited to share that with my kids. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't really shown them a lot of photos from it yet, but... Um, or the video, but I think they would really get a kick out of it at their ages mm-hmm. right now. Aww. So 10 years, do you have marriage advice for our listeners today? <laughs> <laughs> that was a hilarious laugh. <laughs> uh, you know, no, but I, I will say we, so we had the weekend by ourselves without kids. And so it gave us a lot of time to reflect and talk and, you know, we had some rough years in there, especially when our kids were really little and mm. our kids are two years apart. And um, we're just really thankful that we found our way back to each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now we feel like we're kind of out of the fog and it doesn't yeah. mean that there won't be hard times again sometime, but I don't know. You just, sometimes it's not so great, but you just got to get through that season of life and there's brighter days ahead. Mm-hmm. I don't That's know. a really lovely reflection. Hey, my, co- my cousin. Oh, my God. My husband. Yikes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was not my cousin. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. That just made my day. That just made my day. Let's, just, let, cl- let's say it one more time just to clarify. My husband, Colin. Yeah. That, I think that's where I got mixed up there. Uh, he and I were talking about this a while back. And yeah, yeah I think like there there are these periods where things are just really hard. Um, and we certainly had one of those. And we knew that we had gotten past the worst of it when like the scary D word was off the table. Yeah. And it just feels so good to like not have that hanging over. Discussions, arguments, you know, troubles that might come. Um, and I just, I just feel so grateful to be where we are now and have a stronger relationship and marriage. And, um, it makes things just like so much easier. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I love that you're asking me for, to give marriage advice, but you've been married longer than I have. By like a year and a half, please. Wow. Still every year counts, (laughs) especially this year. I mean, I feel like quarantine year, COVID year should add at least five years to everybody's marriage. 
Well, it's interesting, too. I I can't remember who I was talking to. It might have been you. Like, the initial quarantine was actually, like, one of the best times at our marriage because we had actual time together. Yeah. I didn't have late-night board meetings. He wasn't going out on fires. He was home working all day. Um, and, yeah, like, we made the little jokes about it being annoying, like, sharing each other's space. But it was legitimately really nice just being together. Yeah. And now we're in this period where he his life is basically like it would be normally, except, you know, he wears a mask. But he's back at work really long hours. He goes out on fire assignments. But now I'm home alone 24-7 when he's gone. And so it's also, like, it, it's impacting us so differently. Like, he probably wouldn't notice that things are that different, except I, I'm i here when he gets home, like, oh, my God, please talk to me. Oh, my God, I'm so lonely. <laughs> The cats are turning against me. Right. I need I need support. <laughs> oh, I hear ya. Yeah, I know. And a lot of relationships have not survived quarantine, which I find interesting too. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely have some friends on that right now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like our listeners are getting to know a little bit more about us through this conversation. I, it's almost like it leads into this week's theme really well. Oh my! If I mean, it's as if we planned it. It is. <laughs> <laughs> what is what? What is our theme for this week? What are we talking about? This week, we are going to cover our origin story, not the origin of the podcast. But of us, in our jobs, in our nonprofit worlds, in our careers, um, I know I've been getting this question a lot more recently of like, okay, what kind of credentialing did you get? What should I get? How did you get to where you are in your career? Uh, and I'm sure, you know, especially with so much uncertainty, people are just kind of looking at, well, what options are out there? So we thought we'd, we'd share with our listeners how we came to be these, you know, amazing <laughs> podcasters that we are, you know, number four in Bermuda. No, just saying, just saying. I definitely touted that a couple of times in conversations recently. I want to plan a vacation trip for Bermuda just so I can be like, oh, I'm, I'm Nia from the nonprofit Reframe. I'm sure you've heard of me. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, this sounds fantastic. I love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Awesome. Well, I've got some questions prepped for us, so um, I'll ask you, and then I'll respond after you're done. How about that? Oh, that sounds great. Okay. So first off, obviously, got to start at the beginning. What was your very first job? Not necessarily nonprofits, just your first job ever. Okay. So I think, because I had some other random jobs, but I think my first, what I would define as my first real job was working at TCBY. I love TCBY. Yeah, the yogurt. Or as my mentee says, to Kobe. <laughs> no. Yes, he did. No. We were in a group meeting and he was like, yeah, Nia came and picked me up and we went to Kobe. And all of us are like, what the fuck's Kobe?" <laughs> no, he didn't. That's like when Gabriel says, hey, why don't you check Wazi and see um, how far we are from wherever we're going? Like, the, like the street in Denver, Wazi, or no, does he mean ways? He means ways. <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel, no. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? What's Wazi? 
He's like, oh it's on God. your phone. I've seen it. Okay. So, yes, to Kobe. <laughs> yes, awesome. Um, I went, I worked there with a bunch of my girlfriends. I was in high school. My high school boyfriend used to come and just hang out with his friends in front of the store and um, play hacky sack. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know why. Oh, you did a hacky sack or even better. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. What about you? My uh, first real job, like the kind where you get a paycheck, uh, was <laughs> as a Dutch dancer and tour guide at the local windmill. Stop. Nope. Nope. It's, Stop. it's real. Stop. I had to be in full Dutch garb. Did and you have that shoes. hat thing? I usually had the male costume, so I had to wear a cap, not one of the the big funny hats that you're talking about no how old were you i was i probably 15 i know i couldn't drive so i had to walk there and it was always this like do i get there and then i have to put on all of my socks there or do i walk in my costume but it's hot and i don't i don't really want to walk that far like this yeah so i was probably 15 i was one of the younger ones um and just so all of our listeners know, if you go to like one of those kind of historical theme parks and you see a lot of young people, they are making shit up. Like they probably <laughs> know some of it, but then they're making a lot of it up. You, you just got to like, be confident. You mean like the dance moves or? No, that, that was all very choreographed. Um, okay. We danced every hour on the hour. Oh my gosh. But then we would do these tours of the windmill and it's, you know, five flights up and down and showing off all the things it, this windmill had been brought over from the Netherlands. Um, it was a gift to the city of Holland, which is where I grew up, Holland, Michigan. Um, and, but people ask silly questions and you didn't always know the answers. Um, and so sometimes you just make shit up. Um, oh, but sometimes yeah. they I would ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they'd ask just real dumb questions and then we'd have fun with them. Like, do you guys wear all, wear this to school every day? We'd be like, yeah, of course. I mean, wooden shoes are required. They they measure them every day, make sure that they're in regulation um, before oh you can gosh. enter into the school building. <laughs> this is priceless. Do you, I'm requesting a photo, photo evidence. Oh, God. Okay. Going to call mom again. I know. Ask Mama Nia. Uh, good times, though. Good times. That's hysterical. When you look back on it, what is the feeling that it evokes for you? Is it pride? Is it humiliation? All of those. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I also, I think I felt really proud because I was so much younger than most of the other tour guides. Uh, Most of them are like college age. Oh, And like, I got to hang with them. So I was super cool. More to that later on (laughs) what kind of parties they took you to. Oh, honey. No. No. You not know me? That is so not my bag. Like I can even picture me awkwardly in high school being like, "Oh no, I, I'm busy that night. I'm sorry." That's awesome. All right, what's next? Okay, so what is the first time you can remember doing any kind of fundraising? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, well. One time in high school, 
and I probably did it earlier, you know, with selling the candy bars for school or going door to door and selling the wrapping paper and holiday cards. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. But I also remember, this is kind of fun. Um, when I was in high school, we were raising money for my cheerleading squad. And so we worked at a haunted house for one night. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) Like a legit haunted house. Not like one we created that was kind of lame. I mean, the one that was in downtown Columbus that everybody went to. So we showed up and they dressed us up and put the makeup on us and told us where to stand. And I was in this closet thing and I jumped out with a knife at people and it was a fundraiser. We got paid for it somehow. Oh my God. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Well, especially given my love of Halloween. I mean, it was so great. People said some really nasty things to me though. I will say that when you jump out of a hidey place with a knife to scare people, there's all sorts of things that come out of their mouth. What a great fundraiser. I know. <laughs> uh, what we do to our children. What about you? Uh, you know, similarly, you know, I, I did Girl Scouts and did the school stuff. But, like, the first time I remember, like, actively fundraising for a cause was in middle school. Um, I was very involved in my church and my youth group at the time. Um, and, oh, gosh. This is so problematic, but I think it's important to share. I fundraised for... Um, a mission trip? But, well, I, I'm sure I did that too. But this, it was 40-hour famine. I can't remember what organization it benefited. But it, you know, like with all the races and stuff, the pure fundraising, it's like, I'm going to do this hard thing. Will you give me money? And the hard thing was I'm going to not eat for 40 hours. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Did you do it? I did. Um, and I think I was one of the top fundraisers. I think I might've won something because of that. Look at you. Doesn't surprise me a bit. But I just, I remember first off being so hungry. Um, (laughs) I remember we like to break the fast. We all came together and of course, you know, there was prayer and, um, they brought a number of kids up onto the, um, onto the stage where they had this huge feast ready for them. And then they handed out a bowl of rice to the rest of us. To like explain um, food insecurity and uh, how did wealth that differences. Sit? I mean, it certainly had an impact because I still remember it. Yeah, true. And then the pizza came in later, of course, and they like yes. actually fed us. But like the whole, I'm going to pretend that I'm so poor that I can't eat for 40 hours, massively problematic in and of itself. Yeah. Clearly. Um, doing that to kids, really bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was probably like 13. I was probably like mid-puberty. Right. Really, really needed to eat. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But yeah, I I raised some good money for starving people, probably in Africa. I'm sure. Because that's what evangelicals did. Yeah. (laughs) Man, all that childhood in the church. And then let's uh, flash back to last week when I accused you of not believing in anything. (laughs) Your favorite neighborhood atheist right here. <laughs> Life is funny. Uh, okay. What was your first actual nonprofit job? What were you doing? Okay. So 
and this was my first quote unquote real job after college. Mm-hmm. And it's for an organization in, based out of North Carolina called Dan Divers Alert Network. Hmm. But it wasn't, it's, so it's affiliated with Duke Medical Center and they do um, health and medical research on diving to help um, produce like da- uh, safe diving standards that's used throughout the diving industry. But I will tell you that it wasn't your typical nonprofit because it has a for-profit subsidiary. Oh, interesting. That sells dive accident insurance. Oh, that is fascinating. Yeah. So, but, um, and I won't get too into it, there was a scandal. I bet. With the leader the second year I was there, and it was like an 18, and I love Dan, so this is not anything negative against Dan. I'm still a huge supporter and fan of Dan, Um, but my point is that it gave me a little entree into the scandalous world of nonprofits. (laughs) And how people get up in arms and there was an 18 page expose printed in our local paper and the building was egged and all this kind of stuff um, with these big allegations of mishandling of money and that sort of thing. And um, they were able to steer through that and that leader left and a great new leader came in and it was, but yeah, it's like, oh, Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you, your love of nonprofit drama stemmed from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was hooked ever since. <laughs> yeah. So a little different, not your typical, you know, yeah. grassroots nonprofit. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, mine started when I was in college. I started as an intern for them. Um, and it was an, a really, really small organization. Truly at the time I started, there was an executive director and interns and that was it. Um, and that had been the model for decades and decades. Um, we were kind of loosely affiliated with the university and that they gave us some money, some subsidy. Um, and so interns were easy to get through work study, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we ran these, the statewide competition for middle and high school students for debate, theater, forensics etc. Um, again, why I was nerding out and not going to parties. <laughs> um, but it was such an incredible organization because I'd been a participant and then I could help on the back end, kind of learn how it all operated. It was so, so incredibly fun. Um, made some great friends through it. Um, really loved just getting to see the inner workings. Um, but then there were there came a crisis point, um, probably about a year or two into me working there, where our executive director retired, um, and partially because he knew the organization could afford his couldn't afford his salary anymore, and he'd been there for thirty some years, so he retired. They brought somebody new in uh, who had zero idea what the fuck she was doing. Uh. Um, had no idea how to run a nonprofit. Didn't even understand how to run our events. Like last week in the podcast, we were talking about how so often you end up with these more program-focused types in executive director kind of positions, which was 
originally how this organization was run when I started. He knew the programs backwards and forwards, not so good on the business side. She came in not knowing either. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, we, we kind of have this running joke about um, board members who are uh, copy salespeople. Yeah. It, that was her. She came from copy and printer sales into running a nonprofit. <laughs> Literally? Literally. <laughs> That's where the joke came from. I always think of her when I say it. So um, she just, she really um, struggled to figure out what to do with the organization. And I got thrown into this position of like, oh gosh, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn how to look for grants. I'm, I'm going to figure out what fundraising even is. Um, and I did not do it adeptly whatsoever, but that was the moment it was like, okay, there's probably a better way to do all of this. And I want to learn how so that I can help organizations to not be in this position. Nice. So do you really think that by working in this first nonprofit, it set your trajectory, there we go, get that out, um, in the sector? I mean, it was a done deal. Oh, entirely. Yeah. Interesting. not to wax on, but there were two things. When I went, when I started undergrad, I assumed I would either go into business and take over my family business, or I'd go into law just because I really enjoyed legal stuff. And then I became a sociology major and realized I just wanted to help people. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I saw so much of that help happening through nonprofits. And I knew I was never going to be the therapist. I was never going to be the social worker, like not my bag, not my thing. But if I could help them do their work better by ensuring they had a good business behind them, that they had the funding they needed, that they had all of the business acumen then I felt like I could still help people just, you know, one stage removed. And so, yeah, those two things combined is what sent me to nonprofits. That's really interesting. I mean, I never intentionally went into nonprofit work. It just (laughs) happened by happenstance. And even that first job that I had, um, I left that job and went to grad school and thought that I was going to go into academia but needed to find work while I was in grad school. So I took an internship with a nonprofit that turned into a full-time position and then just kind of stayed in it ever since. So I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I think that's really cool that you did and you did so intentionally that you've, you've made a really big mark in the sector. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. But that leads so perfectly into the next question of what kind of training, credentialing, et cetera, do you have or do you think people should have entering into the sector? Huh. (laughs) I have a lot of credentials that have nothing to do with my (laughs) professional life. So maybe I also really appreciate that in you, that you have a master's in this area as well. I have a master's in an area that I don't use. (laughs) I I say that I went to grad school for personal development uh, rather than professional. But um, yeah, I mean, my own credentials, I majored in, I had a double major in college of French. Mm, Bonjour. Bonjour. And uh, sociology, anthropology. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just got you to snort. <laughs> That's amazing. Hashtag Nia snorted. <laughs> the thought that you had a dual major in French and you were like, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> bonjour, come on, ça va. Oh, that's funny. Like when you said your husband was your uncle or your cousin <laughs> earlier. That yeah, got, yeah. That got me. That got me. Touche. Ooh, another French. Ooh. Um, and then anthropology, sociology. So mm-hmm. I have always had a fascination with cultures and people. And then I went and got my master's in comparative religion. Um and so maybe, yeah, what you were saying, maybe that's what drew me to nonprofits is just really a love of people and, and culture and wanting to help. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, it's not that there aren't hard skills that are valuable to have when working in the sector, but I think it's almost the soft skills that are more important. I mean, you have to be, um, a hard worker, dedicated you have to be able to do multiple things at the same time. Um, And I don't know if that's so different than in the for-profit world. I've never worked in the for-profit world, but I just think it's even greater emphasized in nonprofits. You have to be scrappy. You have to do what you did. You have to be someone who, if there's no one there that knows how to do it, you just figure the shit out. Yeah. Because there's and no... that's Brittany on why she doesn't have a CFRE. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. And then in fundraising, if you can last somewhere more than two years, then you build your own You're credibility. In. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. They're like, how long were you there for? Oh, you're good. <laughs> what do you think? What did... I know you've got a lot of credentials. Let's hear them. Just the masters, so that'll do though. Um, so yes, I do have a master's in nonprofit management. I went over a decade ago to one of the very few programs that existed in the country. Um, and I was thinking about that this morning. Um, and I looked it up even on Wikipedia right now on Wikipedia, and I know that's not the end all be all resource, but there are forty two colleges and universities that have some sort of nonprofit management program. Is that 42. true? 42. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a lot more than I thought there was, though. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's like I... literally 1% of higher ed institutions in the U.S. Yeah. So I was lucky that we had one here in Denver that I could actually go to and um, and get my master's degree in. Um, and it has certainly helped. I think it helped kind of propel my career. Um, if I... I don't know that I'm still using what I learned, though. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I think it was probably helpful at first. Um, I knew what resources to go to when I had questions. I certainly reached out to some of my professors um, as my career was moving on, and I, I ran into speed bumps. But, you know, like, thinking back to the classes I took, the fundraising 101 class, not not super relevant. Right. Um, and I, I was having this conversation with somebody recently, too, of, like, at least the master's program when I was in it over a decade ago was very much about best practices in the sector. Well, we know so many of those best practices are built 
in systems that reinforce white supremacy. Right. So if I want to be an equitable fundraiser in 2020, I'm not going to grad school for that. If I'm looking to build an equitable board and board practices, I'm not getting that in grad school. Because it, quite frankly, like it just hasn't progressed to the point where we have white papers and we have research that is going to be able to brought into the classroom. So it's, to answer the question of like, what would I recommend? I don't know that I'd recommend going to grad school for it. Yeah. Again, it, it helped me in that moment. It helped my career probably accelerate a bit because people assumed I knew what the fuck I was doing, even though I probably didn't. Right. It but, gave you credibility. Right. But did it actually give me the skills I needed? No. That that was just, like you said, it's putting in the hard work. It's learning. It's figuring shit out. It's creating a network that you can rely on when you have yeah. issues and questions come up. Um, but I didn't need to get, go into a classroom for that. It'd be interesting to find out if any of those programs have evolved their classes to start dismantling some of that old theory. Yeah. Well, so interestingly, the program I went to, um, gosh, maybe it was five years ago now, totally changed from, uh, it was an M&M program, Masters in Nonprofit Management, into like global citizenry. Which I'm sure, like, the advancement oh. people in, a, in the Alumni Association were like, what the fuck? We want our alumni to donate, and they don't give a shit about whatever this new term is. Right. And then two or three years later, they switched it back. Interesting. So, and, and what I've heard from my friends who are still more connected in that space is that, like, it, there have been big upheavals and leadership changes and folks just trying to figure out what the hell it is. And it's it's hard because it's it's not... It's not as well documented documented as a, an academic space. Yeah. You don't have as many voices in it. It's not as advanced as some of the others. Not to say we don't know what we're doing, but it's not like an MBA program that's been around for decades right. and is just right. continuing to build, right? How do we start one of those? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's, I'm sure you let's, are. Let's teach the next generation... <laughs> Sounds like fun. We'll do it on the weekends. In our spare time. Right, right. Okay. Um, next question. Okay. What sustains you and supports your continued involvement in the nonprofit sector? My relationships. Mm, say more. Well, I just have made uh, the best of friends and have developed such great relationships with my colleagues and have built up a network that is all mutually supported and just helps buoy each other up, I feel. And, you know, I really enjoy growing and building teams and when you can get those teams to a place where they're running um, on their own <clears throat> in each of their roles, it's so extremely satisfying to me to see this kind of growth and and then they're doing their thing and the whole program's elevated. So, I mean, also helping the people <laughs> or the cause. <laughs> 
secondarily. <laughs> um, but you know, so a lot of our work <clears throat> can be, um, can be, what do I want to say? You know, a lot of times my role is not as integrated with the people that we're serving and that mm-hmm. sucks, you know? Yeah. So I do feel that I maybe don't get to see the benefits of the work that the organization is doing as much as others, particularly program staff. Um, but I mean, if you're just asking, so it's twofold, it's the relationships and I think it's just a sense of purpose, right? That, Mm -hmm. and I hear that from my friends all the time in the for-profit world of, you know, they're just working for quote unquote the man, or it's just about widgets, or they don't have the sense of purpose in their work. Uh, but they have a hell of a lot more extra zeros on the end of their paycheck than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, it's a trade off maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Um, I, and I think for so many of us in the sector who have more of the administrative side of things, more jobs on the administrative side of things. Um, you have to really find that purpose, right? Like you have to figure out how you're connecting in to the programs um, versus the people who are directly in community with the the people they're serving, right? right? Like they, they can feel it every day. Not to say that that doesn't come with its own burden. Absolutely. <laughs> but I do think it, it's it's... For those of us who are in the sector because we want to help, but we end up in fundraising or on management or whatever, like you have to really dig to ensure that you're continuing to fulfill that need for purpose. Yeah, I agree. So what about you? What sustains you? Yeah, I I think definitely the the connections and the people. um, I feel like the sector brings in just some of the most amazing humans I've ever met. Uh, And in in all forms, whether that's board members, volunteers, staff, I just, I feel um, really, I don't want to say blessed, especially given that just came out as an atheist. Um, (laughs) But I feel really honored, I think, that I get to be in community with these just genuine, amazing people. Um, And and I do feel like I'm making a difference, um, even if it's in some small way. Um, I was listening to a podcast this weekend while I was out for a bike ride, and um, it was a couple of comedians talking, and they were saying how, like, if the world ends tomorrow, nobody's going to be like, ah, thank goodness we had those comedians to get us through, though. <laughs> right. But I do feel like even though, you know, especially now as a consultant, I'm maybe four or five steps removed. If I can help them build a better fundraising plan that's going to reduce some of their stress and help them grow their fundraising, I'm helping yeah. that mission. If I can help that board get out of operations and into something that's more effective, I'm helping that organization and its mission. Yeah. So I, I, again, similarly have to make sure that I'm checking in with that on myself because I, I do want to feel like I'm, I'm helping. I want my life to be about purpose. Um, and I do that through my work. Do you think that is how people describe our podcast? Just a couple comedians. (laughs) 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 Hashtag podcast goals. Oh my God. (laughs) 
was just listening to this uh, nonprofit podcast that has a couple of comedians. <laughs> That's definitely how we'll be remembered. Oh, gosh, I hope so. I hope so. One day. On a totally uh, another note, I was on TikTok this weekend, and somebody was talking about all the filler words we use. And then I was listening to our podcast and listening to all the filler words I use. And I just want to apologize to everybody out there for all the butts, so's, don't reels, even, <clears throat> Don't even bring ums. them up. Yeah, don't even bring them up because I'd rather stay ignorant to them. <laughs> so real quick, <clears throat> and I know we got to wrap stuff up because we could just do this all day. Oh, clearly. But, so my dad has completely ruined Colorado for Gabriel because my dad moved here a year ago and he noticed that something that is very common in Colorado is that people say perfect all the time, all the time, perfect all the time. And Gabriel says it a lot. I say it a lot. We all say it a lot. But now that he has exposed this overuse of the word perfect, we can't stop hearing it. We hear it all the time. It's every day. And so Gabriel's like, God damn it. He ruined Colorado for me. I can't get through a single conversation with anybody in this state without hearing the word perfect. (laughs) He's like, I wish he never would have brought it up. I didn't realize that was a Colorado thing. Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't know. He claims from his perspective that nobody in Ohio says it. I'm sure people do. But we definitely say it out here all the time. I say it all the time. Yeah. I went to a restaurant the other day. And believe it or not, I went to a restaurant. And everything, you know, when I said, I'd like this, perfect. And could I have this? Perfect. And could I have this to drink? Perfect. And can I get this on the side? Perfect. I mean, everything was perfect. <laughs> Even though literally none of that was. Exactly. Nothing's perfect <laughs> right now. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> oh, all right. So, yeah. So don't ruin the filler words for me because now I'm okay. just, that's all I'm going to hear. Well, I don't think we have takeaways for this episode. No. Just some good stories. Just some good stories. That was really fun. That was fun. <laughs> Hope y'all had fun with us too. Uh, make sure you're following us on socials. We've, we've clearly got some things to follow up on there. We've got some photos to post, some uh, prediction prompts that we'd love to hear your feedback on. So catch us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Nonprofit Reframe. Also, uh, if you have any other questions that you would like us to answer, please send those in. That would be kind of fun to see what you want to hear about. Uh, for the most part, we're open books, so we'll, we'll let you know. And again, it should go without saying if you've been listening this long, but now is the time if you have capacity. It's really, really important to be supporting your local nonprofits by giving and giving generously and i'm gonna add an unrestricted (laughs) thanks everybody bye 
We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.